calling a Hi, I was looking to see if you guys can do a uh, hold order for me. I was really looking forward to the uh, ass flavor, the second album. Do you get? Did you guys get your copies in stock yet? Oh my gosh, get a life. I'm sorry? Get a life and stop calling a porn store. What do you mean? I'm, I'm looking for this item. I'm so sure you are. That's why your friends are giggling in the background, and that's why you were laughing when you first started talking. I, I, I don't appreciate you being rude. I, I was asking about a legitimate item, and I would like to be a customer of your store, and you're going on and insulting me? I, I, I Excuse me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, what? You want to throw the, at this man? What's your name? What is your name? It is Hellcast, and I am Reaper. I'm very excited about this episode because it's got a really freaking cool episode lined up. I'll be talking to Adam Tranquilli, the original guitar player and one of the founding members of Blood Feast. I absolutely love Blood Feast and actually had anticipated to do an interview a while ago, but it kind of fell through. So glad to get that idea going again and making it happen. Uh, one of the other things that's pretty exciting is uh, with opinions and whatever aside about reunion albums from old classic bands, we'll be playing a new song from Blood Feast's upcoming new album, a demo version of it, but still enough to give a, a representation of what's been going on for a band that hasn't put out anything and well, anything brand new in quite a long time i was actually kind of surprised because you know as we've talked about in the show when a band comes back around you know they don't always have that same energy or they switch up members and and that's precisely what happened here is that you know switched up members and having gary markovich as a singer he, he was very kind of a he had a unique kind of a way of going about the genre i think what this is it stands its own and you know, check that out later. It's 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 pretty fucking good. So it's stoked to be playing it. A little bit of news that perhaps you saw circulating: Hell's Headbangers is doing their first festival, but yet technically second show, and that is the Hell's Head Bash. Last year was a free show out down at the Hell's Headbangers compound. This year it's going to be a full-on festival with a shit ton of bands, a lot of great bands, some bands that have never even come to the states or haven't been to the states in a while. Uh, definitely an event that's exciting to announce. Plenty of bands that have been announced, and plenty of bands to announce. So if you'd like to see what bands that have already been announced or just stay tuned as the announcements are made, go to hellsheadbash.com. Whether or not it's a worldwide thing, I'm pretty sure it's just here in the States. I didn't really do a, a backstory on the historic side of it. But here in the States, we have Black History Month every February. There are indeed not that many black people involved within metal. And so to do kind of a Black History Month in honor to that, I figured it'd be kind of cool to go in depth and point out some that have been involved with metal and give a little bit of a history. 
And so kicking it off, I figure why not with possibly the first all-black metal band, Black Death, which just so happens to be here from Cleveland. Here, it seems that you'll run into a lot of people that are like, you know, Black Death, Black Death, and they're, you know, they're legendary in their way. But I honestly think that it's one of those Cleveland things, because there's a few bands from Cleveland on a, on a more, I guess, bigger scale. Michael Stanley, he's on, our, he's on the Hard Rock station. He'll make, like, a big deal of it, when the reality of it is no one outside of Cleveland knows who the fuck this guy is. And I have a, a kind of a feeling that no one really knows who Black Death is outside of Cleveland, not trying to take anything away from them. And one of the things about them is that they only did one album, and that was pretty much it. And that was like, you know, 81. They released like four in like the 70s or something, which definitely probably makes it possibly the first black, all-black band. Two of the founding members out of four have died, and I believe the last two remaining members, there's kind of a feud going on between them because there was actually an attempt to reform the band and they were calling it like Black Death Resurrected or it had little like spin-off kind of names to where even now I think it's still around but it's not like Black Death. Like I honestly I think there's a version where it has the guitar player and that's considered Black Death. There was or attempted to be another one so it's kind of like that thing that's going on with Entombed, another guy we can get to later where they're having like a feud and so there's different names and stuff and when you kind of hear some of the stuff it's just kind of ridiculous and you know it's cool that the the guy's keeping it going and stuff but it's almost losing a a valuable element to it it is a band that established itself to be all black guys it's cool because black people have a more like a different kind of you know maybe bluesy or something just something different that you know there's a cultural and historical difference than just a bunch of white Europe, European white guys and so that in this case plays a very big different role and so I almost th- feel that if the band were to try to like record new albums and stuff it wouldn't be the same so it's like that that particular in this particular case you know whether you want to be PC or whatever the hell throw all that bullshit out of the window but let's just go for the fierce the sheer sake of fact and that's you know there is a difference there, you know there's a cultural difference and I really think that that would play into the band's sound and since I threw it out there moving on would be entombed with Alex Hellid, the guitar player. There really isn't much that I could really find out about him, but obviously one key element enough that's you know kind of different that you wouldn't really suspect is you know he's Swedish. He's in a Swedish death metal band, and uh, you know obviously he was there since the beginning. He was he was he played guitar in Nihilist, and then obviously went on when they did Entombed. I really don't know what's going on with this whole Entombed AD thing and just I guess there's going to be a band that's just going by the moniker of Plainly Entombed but you know it's just it's just another like kind of feud thing and I really don't know where Alex Hellid falls into that equation I don't I don't think he's in the Entombed AD thing and I would suspect that he you know he's been a founding member that he would own right enough to call the shots and have the entitlement to be in the band that just goes simply under Entombed and have no more confusion. 
Iron Man. Al Morris III was the guitar player. Al Morris, he was the founding member of the band. He was The band started out as being a uh, Black Sabbath cover band, which obviously enough with the name Iron Man. But it also he had uh, Larry Brown in the band. He was playing bass. And currently they have uh, Louis Strachan playing bass now. They definitely capture that Sabbath sound. To me, it's uplifting, and that's one of the things about this segment. It's really cool to see that there's this diversity, and that's kind of one of the really cool things that metal is about, is that there is, like, this common ground. You can throw the stupid PC shit aside. You can throw any, you know, historical things, especially in America, aside, and everyone can just kind of connect and be into this music, and, you know, whether it be something that's popular within the uh, african-american in this case community it's really cool to see it because you don't see that many black people into metal it is just an outsider music period you know doesn't matter your race it's a, a music that's shunned by all so it's even cooler to see something as obscure as to see a, a you know a black person get into it and the fact that they can get into it and relate to it and, and that's just kind of the the unification that comes with the, the style of music One of the most obvious choices would be Hyrax with Caton DePena, the vocalist. He's one of the few black vocalists in metal. He's had earlier bands than Hyrax, all of which serve a part in pretty much the formation of Hyrax. You know, it wouldn't be really fair to go in all these little details than be bands that just changed their name to what we know now as Hyrax. But Caton, after Hyrax did disband, Caton did venture outside Hyrax, and he, he joined up with Ron, Ron McGovney, which you probably know from Metallica fame. And he did the band Phantasm, which they only really released one demo from. And that actually, you know, years down the line came out on LP uh, from the, the label uh, Deep Six Records. Fun fact is, a lot of people didn't know, and fuck, I didn't even know until recently, Metallica had Lloyd Grant play guitar, a Jamaican guy. Although he wasn't really much of a member, Lloyd had played lead guitar on Hit the Lights, the first version of Hit the Lights, which appeared on the Metal Massacre version that ever came out through Metal Blade Records. And uh, it is said that later on, for the later pressings of the Metal Massacre, that Dave Mustaine's leads replaced Lloyd's. I don't know, that just seems like a stupid thing to do. Like, why would they go back and change it? I understand re-recording stuff, because it's cool to have those varieties, but like to yank out little iconic things like that, or, or things that were established, it's just kind of silly. It's like, well, here was the compilation. We got to know it, we got to like it. We liked that his performance was just as good. And then, what, you're going to just go and change it on us for a later pressing? That's kind of like that Aussie thing. Like, it's just kind of stupid. Like, don't change it up. I mean, I guess you're running a thin line because it could be like a dispute on whether or not when a reissue comes out to put out the uh, a different cover or something. And, you know, it, so it is a fine line to, to discuss. But, I don't know, when it comes down to the music, unless you're, like, changing everything or putting it out as its own thing like for instance ice earth re-recorded their classic songs well actually they didn't even fully re-record they only did some songs where they re-recorded everything 
or they just took what already existed and they re-record the vocals or maybe just the drums and vocals. It was a, it was a mix-up of what, what they re-recorded. But then they went on and re-released a new album from it out of respect towards Lloyd, who I guess history, what James Hetfield had once said that they were pretty much on the way to the studio to turn in their track for the compilation. And they're like, fuck, fuck, we need a, a solo. So then they got Lloyd Grant to just quickly rip it out because he had like a four track and they just kind of knew him and he's a cool guy. So, I mean, that just even more so kind of seems to be a disrespectful thing about it. But, you know, that band's got a lot of stupid history and a lot of dumb things that had happened. And frankly, I mean, a lot of it's at this point just exhausted and stupid and who the fuck gives a shit. But that's definitely a fun fact and kind of cool. And if they omitted it from it, that's dickish in my opinion. Keeping within California, Suicidal Tendencies, Rocky George, your guitar player. Rocky George, he was in the band on their demos, yet the first album, he's not on it. However, he's in the video for the song Institutionalized. Then he's on the second album and so on and so forth. Wrap your head around that. Speaking of Hyrax, on their latest album, Immortal Legacy, he did a guest guitars uh, track. Going up to the Great White North in Canada, we have Blasphemy with Caller of the Storms. He's the guitar player. There's really not much to say about him. He, he's been the guitar player for Blasphemy, and that's pretty much good enough. I'd be interested in finding out more, but hey. Snow White, or Snow White, and Tafoya, the guitar player, Nikki Tafoya, the bass player, and Sparks Tafoya, the drummer. According to the Metal Archives, all three of them are brothers. Wikipedia says two of them are brothers and the other one's a cousin, judging by their real names. Now, this is where it's like, holy shit. Antifoya, his real name is Greg Fulton. Sparks, his real name is Tony Heath. And Nikki Tafoya, his name is Curtis Fulton. It would make more sense to assume that Greg Fulton, or Ann Tafoya, and Curtis Fulton, or Nikki Tafoya, were the brothers. But Metal Archive says that Tony Heath, who is Sparks Tafoya, was their brother. He doesn't have the same damn last name, so it's just like, how, how the fuck does a cousin wouldn't, wouldn't share the last name? So, and, and that's what Wikipedia says, and you know how that reliable that is. But Ann Tafoya, then went on by his real name of Greg Fulton when he later did the band Cyclone Temple after Snow White disbanded. Fun fact enough, and until I really did my research, because I only knew that there was one black guy, I never realized that there was all three black guys and then the uh, female singer who, who happened to be white, which may have lended to why they came up with the name Snow White or Snow White. 
And within the same area, with another Z name, most people, I guess, would pronounce it Zoetrope, but I guess it is indeed pronounced E-trope. Calvin Humphrey was the bass player. Other than his involvement with the band on the demos and first two albums, the only other other information that, that I know of is that he was in a band called Mosh, M-O-S-H. And I, I spell it out because it's M period O period. Needless to say, phenomenal band E-Trope was. I don't really know anything about Mosh. I can only imagine maybe it's good. Diabolic, Anter Lee Coates. I, I hope I said that right. The drummer. Not only did he play drums for Diabolic, he has also played drums for bands like Exmortis and Unholy Ghost. Suffocation. Mike Smith, the drummer. Mike had played drums for Suffocation on most of their releases, starting with their 1990 demo and covering their most iconic albums like Effigy of the Forgotten, Breeding the Spawn, and, well, for me, honestly, the only uh, Suffocation album I like is Human Waste. Uh, You got Terrence Hobbs then. He plays guitar. He's an original founding member of Suffocation that has remained to the band since its formation. He's also played guitar in uh, Criminal Element and Deprecated. I was collecting for a while. There'd be you know people that would just go to shows and bring a, a video camera at at that time, you know, a VHS camcorder, and then they would get it and they would dub copies and trade them off to get other VHS shows and stuff. So I kind of got involved with that, which ironically enough, through this band because they had a, a guest book, and I found a guy on there. It was I emailed. I had a, a show. The introductory for them was, "You guys remember Sanctuary?" Well, now Sanctuary is Nevermore. Nevermore's first drummer, Mark Arrington, he was definitely on their first demo, and he had played most of the drums on the first Nevermore album, including What Tomorrow Knows, a song in which a music video was shot where Van Williams, their most notable drummer, who was their drummer thus forward, was the one playing in the video. Kind of a Rocky George scenario. So there's my list. I'm sure I missed some bands that I hopefully it's not going to be like, hey, what the fuck, man? You totally missed like that obvious choice. But I racked my brain, and that was the, the most I can come up with. And, hey, maybe you learned a thing or two. And maybe there'll be Black History Months and years to come for Hellcast. Hi, yes, um, I'm calling. My son came in the other day um, with his father, and he purchased a, uh, I guess it's a record, and it's called Nun's Laughter. Um, There's a naked man on the front of the record. Okay. Um. What record is it? It's called Nun's Laughter. Laughed Nun Slaughter or Nun's Laughter. There's a naked man on the front of it. He's holding okay. a he's holding a bone and a skull, and he's covered in blood. And he's got a white face. I mean, okay. he's naked. 
extremely naked and uh, I, I don't know who would sell this to an eight-year-old boy someone sold a nun slaughter city to an eight-year-old boy at your store and this was yesterday around i want to say 3 p.m uh what was the name of the cd it says the guts of christ i i mean there's a pentagram you can bring it back in and return it if you want i i, I was i i don't the, uh, I just don't know what, who would sell this to an eight-year-old. I mean, I don't even know how an eight-year-old boy knows who Nun Slaughter is. To be honest with you, I don't either. Uh, I've I've never heard of them. I mean, they're, I, they're, they're, they're a local group, but honestly, the last Nun Slaughter CD I rang out was for a fifty-year-old uh, dude. Uh, and that was today. So, I mean, okay. I, usually, yeah. I mean, if you if you're more than welcome to bring it back and return it, that's no problem. I I'm just kind of shocked that somebody would sell this to my son. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that we would sell a uh, CD with uh, nudity on it to an eight-year-old boy. Well, and I am super surprised that an eight-year-old boy even knows who Nunslaughter is. Do you, do you have the receipt? I, I don't have the receipt either. I, I just found out about this. I, I saw this in my son's room on the floor, and I'm like, "What the hell? Why is there a naked guy?" Yeah. You know, on this CD, I'm just you don't have a, you don't have a receipt for it. If I had a receipt for it, I could see who you know sold it to him and things like that. I mean, usually with something of that sort, we're not going to sell a nun slaughter CD to an eight year old. And again, I am flabbergasted that an eight year old knows what nun slaughter is. Since all of our CDs are spined and none of them have like a cover showing or anything like that, so I mean, you can bring it back in. We'll return it. I, I don't know what wholeheartedly the situation is, but I, I can tell you right now, you, we don't. Uh, <laughs> I, this is the first I've ever heard of this happening. I mean, so. this is the first. I've never seen anything like this on a... On a it's, I, Nun Slaughter is a death metal, a local death metal group. I don't, you know, I... Okay. They're obscure and I... Well, I didn't know they made things like this. It's a so. very sick world we're living in. <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to promote there with, you know, his uh, junk well, out. It, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, different with, you know, the Rolling Stones to DMX, you know, DMX. Okay. Sell every type of music and everything. So now we can get you a refund and, uh, I mean, I just have to re-go over the staff and everything with, with our palsy. Okay? Great. Thank you. No problem. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Yeah. <laughs>
there's always those bands that have a long-lasting impression on you. They'll always stick in your mind. And for me, Blood Feast is definitely one of them. And that's why it gives me great pleasure to welcome Adam Tranquilli on the show. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Bands can vanish and become a thing of the past and, and forgotten about. And a lot of people may have, unfortunately, forgotten that Blood Feast is still around. You also have been working on doing a new album. And by going through and doing my research and stuff, it kind of dawned on me there's a lot of confusion that surrounds the band and one of the things that i was a little bit confused by you know seeing and i was excited enough to see too is that you guys had posted a new track suspicion enough that it will be on the new album but one of the things that i was a little bit confused about is that about a year ago i had talked to uh kevin kuzma the uh original drummer at the time he was still doing the reunion blood feast and you guys were playing shows and stuff that was just on the impression that kevin was still doing the band and then uh, just a few days ago here i hear from you know adam and that's like you know i find out that he's not was kevin on this track then or is it uh joe on the playing drums no it's joe on that track joe was probably in the band for how long at the time maybe about 20 minutes about, about <laughs> four weeks yeah we got the new guys together and there's there's such a copy of musicians and they're very they're active guys that i was like you know we've waited so long that we wanted to pull this together as fast as we could and we got joe as a drummer and we're like uh well you know we're recording in like about two weeks so so because <laughs> i want to I, I need we need to we didn't want to announce the guys until we had a song so we could at least give them something you know so it's just a demo version it's gonna be re-recorded again for, for the album. And the song I'm referring to is Off With Their Heads. So what what exactly happened with Kevin then? Since we got back together, we were probably around 2012, before we went to Headbangers Open Air, we started talking, you know, I've got new stuff. I'm constantly always writing new music. He just never could get it together. You know, he could never pull it together. And the other guitar player, John, too, we, we, you know, uh, he was supposed to come over, work on new stuff. He'd never show up and things like that. And Kevin kind of wanted to keep Blood Feast as a Vegas act. He's just trying to hold out for these big shows that are never coming with <laughs> as a Vegas act. And right. you know, I'm personally, as a musician myself, I always need to keep moving forward anyway. So I'm not one to just play the old songs and be happy with that. So my God, I had patience for years with him trying to get them together. And he actually came over and demoed the song and it was horrendous horrendous and wow. he even he even said to me he goes like is, is there something wrong with the microphones or something and i'm like <laughs> no no not really so, i think it's the first operator error <laughs> so yeah yeah and i was like no and he just we sat back in the chairs we looked at each other and he was like this is just it just was overwhelming monumental task of what was going to be called upon him and that he wasn't able to deliver. He just was not able to deliver that at all to any kind of uh, quality that I want either. I mean, the guy, you know, remember the guy doesn't play his drums. We played like four times before we went to Germany. He just does not practice. He doesn't play. His drums are at my house. They've been here for a year already. So, wow. So now you got Joe Moore in the band. And Joe, you, how, how did it come to be to be in Blood Feast then? I came in through CJ, actually. He's the other guitar player. Right, new the guitar new guitar player. player, CJ Scotia. He had joined the fold shortly before I did. And uh, we ended up talking on the phone one day, and it presented itself that Blood Feast needed a drummer. 
and I've been around these guys uh, in proximity living wise forever and I have always been a fan of the band and played together in different bands on the same stages at times and when he presented it to me I jumped all over I said yeah I'd love to come up and, and audition I think it'd be great you know from that point forward it's just it's been a rocket ride oh, oh yeah you know we've, we've done uh, the Virginia show and then out to Chicago and the recording studio and we put, we put him right to work I yeah mean, I mean <laughs> he's in a band like a month and we had like Chicago Virginia booked studio booked and we're plowing plowing yeah. right along and it's just um, it's been it's been amazing and I'm grateful to be here yeah, when I was doing my research, I saw, you know, your names on Metal Archives, Joe, and it doesn't really show any other past bands and stuff. Have you done any other bands or stuff that maybe just got overlooked for your archives? <laughs> well, there is, yeah. Uh, Metallium actually does this, uh, a quick piece on DTA, which was Don't Trust Anyone, not the death tribute, uh, the death band you know dta that's out currently now but this was uh, another project we were together for 14 years in the trenches we released two two eps and a you know a full length and uh, they've been out there <laughs> but again it's underground so yeah exactly it could be difficult to find some of the stuff and it- yeah but you know joe was actually he was in the studio when we recorded uh, our first demo the bloodlust demo yeah bloodlust demo yeah. Okay. believe it or not we're back playing right now writing putting together they're all new material in the exact same room that we recorded that demo huh that's pretty cool is it was uh kevin going hey what's going on with these microphones then <laughs> no, 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 you know, everybody go back then. Everybody's going, What the hell did that was that? They didn't know what to do with us back then because who recorded a thrash band by then? Not not many. That's a cool uh, history, and it's kind of you know neat to it started there and it's like it begins there again almost. It's there again, even this all the guys there too. Tom, the guy Tommy Earthquake, Tom Dowd, he was the engineer during that, he's still there now. And I love being back in the room, it's close to my house, so it's kind of nice. But all the years in the middle, and there I am back again well i'm curious how things progress because i think what it was like 99 or something there was like the first blood blood feast reunion and it was just to be like a one-off show and then several years later then it'd be 2007 or so that there was really the the full-on reunion you know where it was going to be more than just a a reunion show and i'm curious when you re-recorded bloodlust and menacing thunder on the doctrine of hate album for your other band uh, without end yeah was that kind of a a thing that kind of was like you know man i really missed this doing blood feast or uh i did i mean there was my songs you know i mean menacing thunder was the first song i ever wrote in my life yeah it's just nostalgic of my old songs they were good songs you know i liked them so i wanted to i wanted to redo them and with bloodlust there was some things that were just kind of incorrect with the drums i wanted to do them kind of properly and then you did uh guitar and vocals on the re-recordings yeah oh yeah i play bass and everything play guitar vocals and bass all on the, with that end stuff okay yeah i was trying i actually i really until what yesterday didn't even know that existed um and I I was trying to go. I haven't had the pleasure of hearing it. I also haven't had the chance of hearing a without end. Was it kind of more in the the vein to blend in with the without end uh, style or? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, which, which you know, with that end is just. I was calling it a kind of a more mature uh, blood feast in a way, but you know. But then and I go back and look at it. I think I should have picked the speed up on all of it, and it would have been really brutal. But yeah, a little diversity never hurt anything, though. Yeah, yeah. After blood feast, after I split, I took a break from it just for a while because I, I had enough of these guys, and I wanted to learn something else. The last time anyone's seen any release of Blood Feast 
was when uh, Hellion Records in Germany did the last offering before the chopping block. And if for anyone that doesn't really know what that is, and I, I, fuck, I might, I might get it wrong myself, it, it's a alternate recording, uh, quote-unquote, better recording as opposed to what was actually on the chopping block blues. Simply enough, were you on this recording? This recording I'm on, that is the actual true second album of Blood Feast. Obviously, I was in a band. We recorded the album at Waterfront Studios. For some reason, again, I don't remember why, because it was a while. We did it again, so we did it twice. But that's what we have. The last offering is that album that was unreleased. Nobody had a copy of it. I found it on a cassette in my basement. I had it, you know, and I kind of just put it together and gave it out. I was like, it's better being out there somewhere than be sitting in my basement, never heard. So after I split the band, they did it again, and that was what Chopping Block Blues, you know? So you, did you have anything to do with the release of the last offering? Supplied the source tape. That was it. Yeah, and and, and that's a, a sure example where, you know, a lot of these bands that are classic and become defunct for a while, or like you said, how you you put it out there, it had no one known that it existed, and you, then, you know, like the efforts, I mean, you dedicated time and, and efforts of your life to, to it. It's like, you know, why not put it out there? You know? Why not put it out? I, you know, and I loved it, too, because I think that it's a much better, you know, because, I mean, some people with, with Chopping Block Blues, some oh. people... Some people hated it, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, because it did sound different, because they all tried, Gary tried different vocals, and the guitar sounds different, and they added a whole bunch of other crap. But this album, Last Offering, is truly, you hear it sounds like, just yeah. you know, better than Kill for Pleasure and Face Fate. You can tell, that's Blood Feast. That's Blood Feast. That is the true second album. Yeah, and that was the thing, is uh, I remember when, when I got that Remnants, the Last Remains uh, compilation disc that I, I guess Kevin put out, on his yeah. label yeah. it had songs of that era and i remember it's like you know i listened to uh, like holocaust or not right. you know the few others and i was like man these are great what happened on shopping block then? right you know? right, right they took that song you know they took Hol it was called heaven's holocaust mm -hmm. and it was great i love that was that was a song written by mike he even he wrote the words everything he was great i loved his lyrics he was so aggressive and mean and nasty and everything they were awesome you know kevin for, on remnants he just titled it holocaust because I think he forgot. I don't know what happened with Chopping Block Blues. They turned it to Turn to Dust. And I was like, I think they just got scared of being a little bit too little. The lyrics were pretty heavy on Heaven's Holocaust. But but <laughs> so what? That's what we were about. You know, it's. I got to ask, what was whose idea was it to cover Black Diamond? Oh, that was Mike's Mike. <laughs> you know me? I'm not a cover guy. I don't know cover songs. When I, you know, like the people ask me, you know, they were watching a Super Bowl. I'm like, nah, I'd rather play my guitar, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't spend any time because you don't get all that time all the time. But when I play, I play my own stuff, you know, and I new stuff. I don't spend time doing covers. I just never did. I took that track off the uh, album. Because Thank you. <laughs> it was horrible, right? It's terrible. Like, it's, it, it, it just, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, the execution of it isn't exactly horrible. Like, what the fuck? Like, did they even hear this song? But it was kind of like the other way. Did they even hear this song to be like, why the hell would they think that Blood Feast was the type of band to cover this. I don't know, you know, you know, <laughs> because that's where that's where it comes down to me again. I was like, I'm a good sport yeah. and I'm a team player. You know what I mean? If you if everybody feels it to it, okay, you know, I'm I'm not gonna 
be an asshole. So, yeah. so I did it. You know, I did it. That, that was the worst part of that freaking album. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And then you know, and then no offense to to anybody, but you know, you know, Lenny Kravitz sang backup. Well, songs. I was just gonna ask you. I I, re- I thought that's in the liner notes or something. A fun fact. So yeah, Lenny Kravitz does the woo. Yeah, and and, 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 and it, that's why I say no offense to him, but that they sucks ass. <laughs> I'm like, it's horrible, man. It's horrible. I can't listen to it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna barf. Oh, well. you know. So, so I had to go. That had to go. That was the you know from the listening, consuming audience of the last offering. Thank you. <laughs> right, right. Have we you didn't need it again. We, <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you listened to the last offering? Yeah, yeah. I was really excited when it came out. See, I got tipped off. I was asking one of the other guys at Hell's Headbangers today because this LP of Remnants The Last Remains. Yeah, that's why I called up. I you did? Him. Okay, okay. So that was you then. And I called him up. I was like, yeah, I'd like to get the album. And I was like, it's Adam from Blood Feast. I'm like, I don't remember ever seeing it, you know? And yeah. he was like, yeah. So how cool is that, right? That someone does that? I think that's awesome, you know? Oh, put it, like, what do you mean? Put it out? Who went through the trouble and the time and effort to put out a double LP of Remnants? And that's the thing that always kind of uh, was just weird. Like when you hear that bands get all like upset about like bootlegs and stuff it's like but dude you weren't going to do it anyway so that's right like and you should be if anything you should be flattered i always looked at as like dude it's it's no different than nowadays or even back in the day when people are tape trading by putting it's putting your music out there the only difference is that someone had to get money together and invest more or less to something that they're passionate about so why the hell wouldn't why would it be wrong of them to be like well of course I want to get compensated from it. It wasn't like they're charging an arm and a leg for it. Like, yeah, that's a hundred bucks. Well, then that would be a little bit uh, malicious. You know, it was yeah. it was done out of love and appreciation and it was something that, you know, wasn't going to come out anyway. That's right. That's right. And all I say to them is, you know, thanks for keeping that spirit alive and send me over a copy. And that's yeah. about all, you know, there's another guy who does patches. He every hundred he makes, he gives me 30. So it's like, you know, it's it's all good. You know, I, I love the spirit of it. And then, you know, and now it's a new uh, a new thing for Hell's Headbangers. But is that speed clothing? Constanza? I don't know if you know her. She's making a blood piece bathing suit. How can you go wrong? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's fandom in its purest. You know, it's it's. it's not oh, some, I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I mean, it's so, more than just some guy wanting to come up and shake your hand, you know? And, yeah, and you know, and none of us are. I mean, you know, if the guy made a hundred dollars, it makes. If he made a thousand bucks, you know what I mean? It, we're not. Nobody's getting rich here in this stuff. It's more in the spirit of, of metal and you know, yeah, and stuff. You know, so so I, I'm all for it. You know. Speaking of chopping block, that's obviously a good standpoint as where everything kind of started to fall apart for the band. Where you know you left. And then, you know, and then the band just ultimately then disbanded from that. And so, you know, having knowing this fact about the last offering being the album that was before that, and then they go on and record Shopping Block after you had left. Was that one of the departing reasons for yourself to be like, you know, this is not really going in a direction that I like? Um, No, because, 
I mean, it was my most of it was my music. Both albums, they omitted a couple of songs on the uh, on Chopping Walk Blues, but it was funny because they had put out like a release saying that Adam was asked to leave the band because he had personal problems, and I was like, personal? I didn't have personal. I had personnel problems, not personal <laughs> problems. You know, I just wasn't happy with the guys. That's what it was. You know, okay. you know, I loved the music and and the spirit of music was great. Just the guys were really hard. They were really tough. They were really tough. Like they just weren't gung-ho to be playing music or? There was a lot of things actually, you know, because I mean, we were young back then, you know, mm-hmm. I was living on my own at the time. They didn't like that. They were all living home with their moms and <laughs> coming with, with packed lunches to the studio, you know, in a lunchbox. And I was living in an abandoned building with my friend because I couldn't afford to go home. They didn't want you hanging with opening bands. They just had these attitudes that were pretty bad. You get tired of being around that stuff. So, you know. Yeah, it seems rather silly, really. Uh, of, you it's know. ridiculous. I mean, one of my last shows was in Washington. I remember they hated me that I was hanging out with the opening bands. We were just hanging out, having a great time. That was with Whiplash and Indestroy. I think at War played that show, and it was like, it was, I was hanging out, and they, they did not want us hanging out with. I was like, what kind of attitude is that? I get along with everybody. I'm an easy guy, you know? The music was going okay, and I was happy with it. It was just the guys were just too much that, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. So I had to depart that. Do you have any contact with uh, any Lou or Gary or Mike? No, no. A couple of funny stories is I had felt my first venture into playing someone else's music was with a band called Department C, and that was Lou's brother from uh, Lou from Blood Feast, his brother, Todd. And uh, we did one show with DRI. It was fun. It was like a crossover hardcore band. It was not a couple years ago. But uh, even all my practices we did with Department C and the show we did, never saw Lou. He never came out. (laughs) And uh, Gary, it was funny. We were playing... We were practicing to go to Germany the last time, and I pull up to the studio, and I look at the car next to me, and there's Gary huh. sitting in the car next to me, and he even had his words with him. And I'm like, why is this guy, we haven't played Blood Feast in 20 years, and he's got his words in his car, what the hell's the matter with him? <laughs> oh, so he got wind that you're going to Germany, and so now all of a sudden he's gung-ho? No, no, no. Oh. He, he got run out of his house. <laughs> so, so, oh, oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> he wasn't coming to practice. He was at the studio with some other guys, you know. Oh, okay. And he was half a drunk guy. He could he couldn't do the words. He like we took we there's some pictures on our site with him there. You know, he shot. We didn't even know he's there. So, but he looks the same. He's still got all his long hair and everything. It's, it's cool. But you okay, know, so I'm because I'm a little fuzzy then. So there was a reunion with Gary then. That was in ninety. You know, we got together in ninety nine for okay. the so down he there. did play. Okay, I didn't I didn't realize he he sang on that. Yeah, in March Metal Meltdown. And here's a little taste of like their attitudes that I would say that were like not too friendly. Our new bass player Tom. Hey Tom, this is Gary. Nice to, and you know, and Gary, this is Tom. Tom is Gary. And he goes, Don't fucking touch me. <laughs> I, I mean, what, what kind of guy is that? You know? Okay. Yeah, great. Don't fucking touch me. So it's like you know, like they, they just aren't very friendly guys. That's sort of you know it comes down to so you know. But we did it in '99, and those guys hated that. They you know Kevin put that together, and you know we got together a couple times and played. Mike Mike the guitar player said the best day in his life was the day he put his guitar down, and the second <laughs> best, the second best day is when he's going to put his guitar down again. Why wouldn't you be as stoked you know for what you've accomplished? Uh, 
right, right. That's what I was there. We were there. They had meet and greet first. Those guys, after they were done playing, they bolted. They were out of there. You wow. know? Yeah, they they hated it. You know, and they've never we've never heard from him since. Kevin had reached out to him and and stuff and uh, nothing. That was it. Ninety nine was the last time, and it'll never happen again. And when we started doing it again, it was me and with Kevin's band Anunnaki. You know, basically, you know, that's what it turned into. And then we did that show. We did the At War Possessed and Blood Feast show again in Brooklyn, and it was like that reunion from our show we did way back in the eighties at Lamore. You know, so it was fun hanging out with Jeff and guys from At War, Paul. And you did a guitar solo or something on At War's uh, last album, Infidel, right? Yeah, yep, yep. That was fun. See, those guys, those are great guys. They invited me to do it. They sent me a track and went out, and then I went up to Ithaca and then did it with Alex Perialis. I was like, wow, you know, it was a great opportunity. So it was fun, you know, and I'm still friends with those guys, and I see them. And Sean was at a Virginia show, and I talked to Paul every once in a while. And It's amazing what happens behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's fun, you know. We were holding on to Kevin for the longest. That's what we were doing, you know. We were trying to hold on. and yeah. give we gave him all the opportunity we possibly can. And then and, and I'm going, you know what? You know, they say, what? Well, one in four, one in five guys are going to get cancer. I'm like, wait, there's, there's no waiting anymore. <laughs> get older, man, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if it's any consolation, he sounded good on the albums that he did record. <laughs> yeah, but, if, but, but you know, if, I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing about Blood Feast. Blood Feast always had these crap-ass recordings, but people loved it. That's half what people loved, I think. And if you listen to his timing, timing is, I mean, I'm not saying my performance was great either, but, you know, things were rushed, things, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mistakes on there, but, it, but that's kind of what people loved anyway. So nowadays I can't go out and do a recording like that with just, you know, Kevin's a substandard drummer at this point now, you know, <laughs> he, had, he had never, he never got any better from those two albums. Wow. Well, if the, if the drama and, and just bad luck didn't really stop there, uh, then you got the whole thing with New Renaissance. And now for people that really don't know anything about New Renaissance, is there's a, a, an ongoing thing where they say the owner and Boleyn is really just kind of, I don't know, greedy and, and doesn't, and really deprived, signed all these bands on, got a contract and maintains her ownership, but yet doesn't maintain her end of the bargain. Would it be correct for me to kind of label it like that? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty okay. close. I might even still have a pretty good relationship with Anne. I think it's okay. You know, I mean, she she had wrote us all in Renaissance guys a uh, a letter explaining what the hell happened way back in the day. But it is what it is. You know, at the same time, I thank her for putting it out. You know, and it got it to where it's at. You know, I mean, all our songs are up on iTunes. I have no clue who's making that money. I guess she's getting all the money, and not that there's that much money that we get. But and then for me to be able to get albums, I can't get it. And then I was like. Like, we know we're going here. We need we need CDs to make for shows. Can't get them. Can't get them. I mean, you can't get anything. So as far as going into Renaissance for anything, it's almost useless, you know? Right. And she'll tell you. She's, she's said, you know, what's your name? What's your address or whatever? I'm sending you something, and it never comes. So you, you here you have you have Kevin. He put out the Remnants CD. Yeah. So you got Remnants that comes out. You got the last offering. And then now you got back catalog. You got Kill for Pleasure, Face Fate. Uh, I don't even want to say Chopping Block Blues is coming out. Kill for Pleasure and Face Fate 
definitely have already come out on vinyl through High Roller Records in Germany, Last Offering through Hellion Records in Germany. So yeah. is, is it Anne Boleyn that's making these deals, or is it Kevin? It's like No, she make, uh, Anne made those, those deals. It's like you're getting the short of the stick still. It's, it's I get nothing. Yeah, I get nothing from those albums. So, you know what? I've never gotten anything in the past. I'm not expecting anything. I'll tell you, we're moving ahead. Because time's time's wasting, you know? We're not getting any younger. Time is now. With Face Fate, you know, you, you got your, your second release. Why was it a one re-recorded song and then two remix songs? So, essentially, you got a four-song EP, but then there's only one new song. Right, right. Isn't that funny? I, you know, I don't know quite get it either. And the funny thing is that it holds its own, too, you know? Face Fate, for some reason, holds its own. Um, I think it was probably what happened, why we did that was because that's probably all we had at the time. They needed something now, you know? Mm-hmm. So they did that, and that bought us time to write another record, you know? So I did read that in the uh, the liner notes, but you, you never know what's just put in Yeah, the within getting together... A band in one year within a year we had an album out so it was like everything happened so fast and then there we are we were on tour and we, we were doing shows with death death angel sacrifice we were all around and stuff i think that's all we had at the moment so like you said it does hold its own and for me that is the best version of bloodlust from the demo to the album to that i mean it, it's just it, it's fantastic and <laughs> That was actually the first version of Bloodlust I had heard. So when I heard the other ones, it was like, oh, <laughs> it wasn't as in- intense. So it was good things happened because of it. And uh, obviously, Face Fade is a great song. And really, the the remix, it, knowing that fact, I, I kind of go back and I listen to them. I almost try, I try to compare them. And there is... You know, not- noticeable differences, especially with um, R.I.P. where it is sick, disgust, uh, uh-huh. lost or whatever. With, with where on yeah. the album, it has the you know the group shouts with it. Where on the you know EP, it's just uh-huh. it's just Gary doing it's it. Scary. So you know, there's just stuff like that. That's you know, it's just it's it's cool to have those versions. And yeah, we were just trying to clean up the mess. That's what we were. Try, trying to, you know, because it's pretty pretty messy on Kill for Pleasure. So now, when you look back on Face Fate and you flip that over and you see that band picture on the back, uh-huh. do you just go, "Oh God, why did we not put Lou?" I think it's Lou who's wearing the uh, the sh- the cut off short shorts and the knee high socks. No, that's Mike. Right? Oh, it's Mike. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, like and you're in the back wearing yeah, jeans. Yeah. Like, <laughs> where, where, do you ever go like, "Oh God, why did we stick him up front? I should have been up front." He and the back (laughs) it was it it shows you the sign of the times back then you know that was mike that was mike you know and that was like people were running around looking like that them days (laughs) just cut it off at the waist like (laughs) right 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 right. oh yeah you were wearing you know jean shorts then with your nuts hanging out almost you know so it was like yeah it was that was the 80s so no one thought about anything like that at the time for the appearance of the band no i thought it was great right (laughs) Well, it is in in, in a different retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. it was was back then. That was back then. I I love it. Look at that. What's one of my favorite elements about Face (laughs) Face? If you don't like those versions, at least you got that picture. (laughs) You got that picture, man. (laughs) My kids look and shake their head now, and they go, "You're embarrassing." Moving back then to Kill for Pleasure, there's a lot of other things that kind of went wrong too. First and foremost, now I don't have the original LP in front of me, but I do have 
one of the CD pressings that uh, New Renaissance did. There was that uh, a point in time New Renaissance was doing the the limited edition, you know, and they're hand numbered, and I think oh, mine, yeah. right. I think mine is. But now they're not hand numbered; they look exactly the same, but there's no numbers on there. So obviously she did another pressing, but whatever, yeah. you know, making it available. Yeah. But on there, it doesn't list Bloodlust. You know what? Because that was the bonus track for Europe. That was okay. only on the cassette. When it first came out, it was on cassette. Bloodlust only came out on cassette. And then I think I have an LP that was like the German version. So that's what they did back then. Other than it just being the bonus track, there's really no other reason that she would just... Why would she would just omit it, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. There was. I think it was just... It was the bonus track on a cassette. Because this was pre-CD. There was no CDs then. Right. And then it was on the German album. When you guys went into the studio for Kill for Pleasure, that was the intent all along for Bloodlust? Was that it was going to be... Oh, no. We, we, had, we knew nothing. Oh, okay. We, uh, yeah, so. we knew nothing. And did everything that she wanted. She got Drew Elliott, too. I mean, everything was all like... That was... All her putting it together, you know? So here you are with, you finally got your first album coming out. You're, you're totally stoked, I would imagine. And yeah. then, then you get it. They cut. She cuts one of the songs. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that wasn't bad enough. <laughs> then you get it, and Thank she you. puts your name wrong. You got right. first, <laughs> you're, Lou, you're Lou on the album. <laughs> yeah, the very first pressing was the wrong pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing of it is, though, you know, you made a mistake. The first pressing put the wrong name for the wrong guy. Uh, but then she puts out the CD here years later, knowing of that mistake. And did it again. Why would she repeat the mistake? It's like, well, that, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I don't know. But so yeah, you, I have that, that too. When you, when you got that, where you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's one of those things again with New Renaissance, like, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. Well, so. especially when it's pressed, but it's just, it's a funny detail. <laughs> just it is a funny detail. So that's why the Blood Feast always has the, like this little curse. When that came out then, were people coming up to you like when you'd play gigs like out of town or something? So people that, you know, just knew you from buying that record, were they coming up to you like, hey, Lou, can you sign yeah. my record? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. We didn't have it. So <laughs> it wasn't bad. Yeah. So at least they knew who you were in the end. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I don't think, you know, her first pressing because we never really got an accountability of how many albums that really were sold so but i do believe that they were going pretty fast back then you know and uh so that pressing was gone and a new and a fixed version was out right soon enough, so most notably face fade when i first heard bloodlust that was a song that was played so many times and not so much just always just played but just one of those songs and or, you know you, you sit there and, and you start to study it you know like what is he doing here and actually at the time i almost considered her even covering it and i think one of the things was like well there's no fucking lyrics for it which i guess they the lyrics did eventually come out or maybe it was the pressing that i had or or maybe oh, it was even someone's interpretation. I, I don't even know. But uh, right, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I couldn't understand Gary for shit, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it can, it can get drawn. But I mean, that's just the nature of the uh, the style of music, rather than just being just him, you know. But right. One of the things though that I like to pick your brain even more about is while recording that version. Is there like anything just very memorable that happened in the studio at that time or just even writing bloodlust was the third song i ever wrote in my life at the end it goes and he's like gary's all screaming and it goes oh bloodlust at the end you know mm-hmm. on the demo version it was just me that we didn't even have another guitar player at the time where it goes bloodlust at the end that wasn't us 
going bloodlust. That was like a, a noise in the studio that we never knew where it came from. You know, it was one of those studio glitches that you couldn't figure out where the hell it came from. It just happened to happen in the right spot. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, so it was like, but it, but it says the word bloodlust, but it's not it you guys saying like it. it. But oh, it sounds like it. Okay. If you listen to the demo, I don't think it's not bloodlust because we never did bloodlust there. That was just, that was like a noise that <laughs> we don't know where it came from. The noise, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So we just kind of adopted it and started going bloodlust there, you know. So so would it be safe to say that with the suicidal mission demo, because you said bloodlust is the third song that you recorded? Does it go in order, like menacing thunder, the evil bloodlust, and then your fourth song is suicidal mission? Or? That's it. But those three songs were mine. My first song I ever wrote in my life was menacing thunder. Second was the evil. Third was bloodlust. Kevin and Lou came with suicidal mission they had that you know so we put it together and that's what we did is it true too that on the demo that you guys did color in by hand in red the the uh, bloodless oh, logo yeah. sat at my uh, kitchen table at my dad's with my girlfriend and colored them in i bet she was stoked about that date huh yeah <laughs> Don't you remember high-speed dubbing, right? Yeah. Remember high-speed yeah. dubbing? Yeah, oh, yeah. You got. I mean, it, that's the thing about demo tapes, you know. It just seems so much more rewarding, even now, to, like, go on eBay and, and, and like, seek out a, a, a demo like the Bloodlust Suicidal Mission demo and own it and have it, rather than, like, if a band were to go and hand you a CDR that, say, it has all the same components, you know, a, right. a, a covers that they cover colored in by hand you know whatever but it, for whatever reason it's just not as fulfilling it's not as cool and I, a mystery that no one can ever answer what, what, what's your take on it well you know i was always the kind of guy i'd like to have the product in my hand and be able yeah. to see it and read the things so i think that's what it came down to you know as i mean kids got older all they wanted was the music and that was it but half the fun was looking at their covers right and yeah. reading all about it and stuff so i loved all that we used the resources we had at the time you know which were not very good you know and that's why we had to color them by hand and we printed them out and cut them out and did everything you know i got all the place from rat skates because i was working for overkill at oh the time. awesome i'm on the first two albums you know as a road crew and really uh, i never noticed that detail i didn't look at feel the fire i'm right there as a road crew oh well, really cool okay yeah and i'm in the video hello from the gutter i just get a quick hello oh, that's awesome <laughs> But, but where, did I, where did I learn from? I learned from Rat. It was fun. And, you know, we only made 100 of them. So that was the neatest. That was a neat thing, too. The demos, we only made 100. And then later on, I'm meeting when, when we played in uh, Brooklyn again a few years back with that War and Possessed, there was guys from Australia and Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And they had my demo. And I was like, it's incredible, you know, how that's yeah. kind of like every continent there is. And I've got a printout that someone sold it for like $175 on eBay. I have it. I'm like, I can't believe it, you know. If you had that funding at the time, you wouldn't have sat there and colored them. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, I, that guy who sold it for 175 bucks made more than I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> but it's fun, you know. It was- As playing in a band myself, you know. You, you go out and you do these tours and stuff. And, you know, I, I've been to a lot of different countries playing in bands. But, you know, you use your vacation time from work. You, you fly over there. You, you, you're spending your own money. Half the time, you don't even have a place to crash. Or if they do hold you up, it's usually, it's not the Ritz. And, you yeah. know, or sometimes, or and you definitely don't have a shower for days on an end. So, <laughs> and, but then you find yourself in situations where it's like, oh, finally, a, a nice, comfortable bed as opposed to the floor. Oh, I got to... 
I got to share a bed with a man. I mean, that, yeah. that, 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 you know, there's better things I'd like to be doing. So when you're doing it, it sucks ass. <laughs> but when you come back home or years later and you start telling to the kids or you, you go on a podcast and reminisce about it, it's fucking funny. So oh, it's kind of, it's kind of worth it in the end then, but it sucks ass when it's going on. <laughs> I, I got to say, fortunately enough, I've, I've, I've had pretty good tours and being pretty well taken care of when i've been out you know these are great things you know they color in our lives and make it fun and sticking with the present then you've got your new album coming out then yeah well we're we're seven songs deep into it we've got it's all done written and everything the only reason we're not done with it now is because shows were called upon us and japan called upon us and we're like holy crap we gotta learn all the old stuff yeah it's it's rehearse or it's recorded yeah right so it's kind of slowed us down so once we're done with japan i mean we've got 18 songs under our belt now between seven new ones and the other old ones but first thing is to get this album done it's been long enough holy crap if we finish it in 2000 2015 we're still you know because we still want we want to play festivals and things like that mm-hmm. but we're already talking 2016 for those things already you know yeah so, time's flying <laughs> time's flying so yeah. it's like god oh, jesus christ i want to be done with this a long time ago but so it's going to be seven seven songs including uh, off with their heads or we have 10 or, and we're probably i was thinking even of redoing a, an old one you know because we're doing well, we're doing chopping block blues so damn good now holy crap i can't even believe that song anymore you know that i'm like yeah i'm probably gonna redo it again you know maybe but uh <laughs> can you do uh maybe detroit rock city no <laughs> no we'll pass on a kiss song <laughs> we might do an old one you know because you know when we recorded um off of their heads we also did we did two other new ones plus we did dark side yeah. but we're not going to release that that was kind of just for ourselves maybe we'll do dark side and chopping block blues again you know as far as the old ones you know but we'll have 10 brand new ones maybe two old ones and then we'll decide what exactly we're going to put out maybe we'll do an album and an ep again like the old days and then then go for a second album you know what i'm saying so yeah and, and, and who knows maybe we'll have a live in japan blood feast the feast <laughs> of the east you will go ahead and play then uh off with their heads
for me, as iconic as Blood Feast has been and something that's really influenced me. So it was really refreshing to hear that the band may have only left a short-lived legacy, but to hear that the reasoning behind it wasn't exactly because everyone was just half-assing it. Yes, it was members of the band, but there were guys in it like Adam who were looking and really pushing forward. And so, sadistic intent. I'm obviously fond of the band. But the fact remains that they are indeed a lazy band. Because if you look at their discography, it is half-assed as a motherfucker. They've never done an album. They continue to play shows. For a little bit of history for the people that don't know, they had, quote-unquote, an album. And in 1999, they supposedly had a record deal with Necropolis. As per this soundbite... You got a fucking album coming out? soon on Necropolis. Keep an eye out for it. This song is another new one. This will be on it. It goes by the name of Invocation of Blasphemy. There's proof in the pudding that it's now 16 years later. There is no album. And when they went on a radio show in the L.A. area... Uh, What's interesting is, is this is going to be new music available to the Sadistic Legion and to all those uh, naysayers and shit talkers yeah. that... You know, they can't say that I mean, no I mean, more. I mean, for a while, like, the only way to hear new music is to go see us live. That's the only way you yeah, can hear music. Yeah, a lot of people capitalize but on now, that, too. But now, you know, you got you know, you a chance to... to uh, own it. There has been a lot of shit talk. We got a, a, a new song recorded for them. It's called Fuck Off and Die. How appropriate. But I, <laughs> I find it interesting that, you know, for a band that does not talk shit about anybody, how much you guys are so inundated with criticism, commentary. The one thing that was always undefendable was the fact that people would say, well, where's the new music? What's going uh-huh. on? And even though that last negative stigmata can be put to rest... You guys are releasing reawakening horrid thoughts. Is that correct? Exactly. For a band that gets so much criticism, you just conquered the Southeast. You just came back from a tour. Right. Much else. So for a band know. that's not productive, for a band that can't get their shit together and record, <laughs> for a band that really no one gives a fuck about, isn't it amazing how globally... <laughs> wow. Uh, malignant Spirits, this is coming off the reawakening horrid thoughts, 12-inch on Iron Pegasus, which will be released when? Um, it'll, it'll be soon. But you have recorded material yeah. that will be released soon, and it'll oh, yeah. be on Iron Pegasus. Iron Pegasus. So finally, after 16 years of, of nothing of mu- new music, we get, and this is what has really brought this to my attention to even bring this up, we get a new EP. So now the problem already is that's an EP. Like, what the fuck, dude? 16 years for an EP? The goddamn thing has three fucking songs. Great. All right, well, we finally got three new Sadistic Intent songs. No, we didn't. When you get the EP in, you flip it over, and you realize that one of those songs is a fucking cover. 16 years, and all you can do is two goddamn songs and a fucking cover? It gets really bad from there, because at glance, you look at it, you're like, all right, well, Malignant Spirits, Horror Thoughts, and then Fuck Off and Die is a Dark Throne cover. But hey, it was cool. It's a good cover, you know? I like it. I'm really happy that they finally did some new music. Well, then the gripe turns to this. You get one new fucking song. One! One song. Why? How? How do you ask? Because on the rehearsal in 1988, fucking horrid thoughts is track five on that son of a bitch. So you get one new fucking song. 
Granted, yes, I understand that, well, not everyone has that rehearsal or not everyone likes rehearsal quality recordings. And I agree. So it's cool that they made the effort. But God fucking damn it, that's all you can do on a 12-inch EP? A 12-inch EP can store 20 fucking minutes of music on one side. And what did we get? We got one side with three songs that doesn't go up to the fullest duration that it can get. And then we got a blank side on the other side. Like, really? 16 years, and that's what you can fucking do? And there's a lot of bands like that. You know, they have never done an album. And they have not had a good enough excuse, in my opinion, for why their album hasn't come out since 1999 when they said before a live audience that, hey, we got a new album coming out on Necropolis Records. Well, hey, it must have been good enough to go to sit there and tell people. No, when I talked to them in person, I think it was Bay. Hell, I even talked to Rick, both the brothers. Bay was saying that, well, they had recorded the album, but yet... The tapes were lost, and the guy from the studio kind of just bailed on them. Now, that sounds like a shitty situation, a plausible situation, but in 16 fucking years, you don't think that you would get the get like the angst, the courage, whatever the hell you want to call it, inside you to be like, you know what? This guy ain't ever fucking coming back to town. Let's get off our asses and start recording it again. No. What they do is they blamed it on the then guitar player. Well, the guitar player that we had on those recordings was Vince and now he's not in the band so we don't want to feature him on there why I don't know so Ernesto or whoever the hell was playing guitar at the time I talked to him he doesn't know the songs yet alright maybe but I don't think it's going to take 16 years to learn the songs and I certainly fucking don't see the rationale that mind you sadistic intent was joining forces with Jeff Becerra to do what I like to call possessed intent and that were his back band well okay this was years after 1999 that they did they joined up with Jeff Becerra to do possessed and do you think that they told Jeff Becerra that hey you know what well our guitar player over there he's still got to learn sadistic intent songs so we can record a fucking album and put it out finally so he's not going to be able to learn these possessed songs no 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 they brought him on and he did possessed and they went all gung-ho touring and all these great little things so if he can learn fucking possessed songs why can't he pick up the goddamn guitar and learn fucking sadistic intent songs instead what we get then 16 years later and they do a nice fu attitude on a radio show we're gonna give you an ep oh it's finally coming out well even that was three new songs i'm not impressed 16 years to write three songs but it's even worse because it's one song in 16 years you got a whole fucking new album worth and then they have the audacity to get pissed off when people bootleg their shit all opinions aside the fact kind of still remains that some asshole is going to come along and put it out and that's what's going to happen so why the fuck would you sit around and wait and it's precisely that what has happened to sadistic intent time and time again because in that same fucking interview we're going to go back we've been thinking about that's always a good catchphrase of bullshit that's never going to happen is worth thinking about you ain't thinking about shit i've been thinking about making a million dollars but it ain't fucking you know what this this is how the thought went if i had a million dollars and never went to work again and then i fucking woke up and realized i wasn't making a million dollars that's what you were doing about your fucking reissue of your back catalog you were sitting on the shitter and you fell a fucking sleep that's what happened 
happen. So nothing did happen. They never did anything. And guess what? Someone fucking bootlegged it. And I'm sure they're pissed off about it. But you know what? 16 goddamn years and one goddamn fucking song and you have no good reason about it. And there's plenty of bands like that. I'm sure they got their reasons and it would be lovely for them to come on here and say their reasonings and defend themselves. But I've heard their reasonings firsthandedly because I talked to them on the phone. I tried to get them on the show. And I don't even mean to sit there and rip on them. I would have hoped that they would have similar attitudes like Adam. Someone needs to be a friend to sadistic intent and sit there and be like, look, dude, you guys are half fucking assing it. And that's it. You got so much time. And another thing back to the Bluff Thieves interview, you know, as he said, I want to get this album done, but we're doing a lot of show opportunities. Sadistic Intent plays shows like a motherfucker. In 16 years, they played a shit ton of shows. I put down the fucking show card, but stop rehearsing, and let's start recording. You played them live. The guy knew the songs enough to do that. So the logic really isn't even there. Okay, so you got families. You got all this. You got you got a store to run. They, they like to play the store card too well our dark realm Records store was closing down it's just like dude none of these are, are valid if you can get up there and it sounds like it, all the more reason why you should go and record because you're fucking recording them nice and tight like you can go in the studio and just nail that shit in three takes if not one like i i just don't get it well the the cortez brothers are very anal about performance i bet and that's probably why they kick ass live they're a great live band so they should be able to go into the studio and record it well they had lineup changes and they fucking changed it and they got guys in there that are just as good and they've played shows and they played these new songs live so what the fuck is going on this has been hellcast i am reaper if you would like to get in touch with me you can email me at hellcast at hellsheadbangers.com as always the playlist is on our website hellcast.hellsheadbangers.com it's linked to hellsheadbangers where you can pick up this music so if you heard anything that you like please pick it up because that obviously funds doing the show and keeping it going. Be sure to tune in next time. We'll be talking to Fred Espy of Dismember fame. That'll be really cool. I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Until next time, talk to you later. May I help you? Hi, can I speak to the events coordinator, please? What is it in regard to? Um, I'm the PR for this band called Deicide. Um, they're set to play there on Thursday at 8 o'clock. I just wanted to make sure you guys had everything set up for the show and for Mr. Benton. I believe I spoke to Father Baker before about this. We're just trying to get everything together last minute. Oh, now, what is it this in regard? Because we don't have a Father Baker here. I don't know who that would be. It's in regards what, what is- to the band um, Deicide that's playing there Thursday night at 8. Um, I'm their PR person. My name's Debbie Gunn. A band is going to play where? At the church hall? Yes. I'm not aware of that. This is... Is that correct? Yes, and yes. Father, Father... I mean, this is going to be a huge show. We're set to expect at least a thousand people. Um, we just wanted to make sure that oh, the pyrotechnics um, were there and set up. No, we don't. We can't even fit a thousand people here. That must be some sort of mistake. The, the hall here would only accommodate maybe three hundred people, and it's set up right now as a church because our main building is being renovated. You know, the thing is, is we had these pyrotechnics that were set up to, we were going to have a pyrotechnic show as well, um, and I know they also had some chalices of pig's blood. What? They use what? They use that for one of their props on stage. Mm, We don't even have a stage. 
I'll have to give you Father's voicemail, and when he gets in, um, he'll he'll listen to your voicemail. Okay, that sounds great. I just wanted to make sure everything was ready for Glenn. I know he's very picky about the venues, and he just wants everything to be perfect. He's a perfectionist about this, so I I don't know if the stuff got shipped there already. No, what's the name of this show? His show, it's called Deicide. Um, That's the band that's playing. How do you spell that? It's D-E-I-C-I-D-E. No, that doesn't sound right. I think you must have the wrong church. If you could hold one moment. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Please have a paper and pen ready to write down information we provide. This is Ruth. Can I help you? Hi, Ruth. Um, I was really calling to get some advice. Okay, let me see if I can help. What can I help you with? Well, my friend... He's been really getting into this uh, like stuff referred to as death metal. And I'm really concerned because there's a band they call themselves Deicide. They're very blasphemous. How would you what would you do in like in my situation? You know, I don't want to like hurt him and tell that he's violating God's will, but I also want him to push him to the right side. Is he religious at all? Or? You know, we're in our, our teens. I mean, I, I think that he's finding God. You know, he hasn't established his right relationship yet. Oh, gosh. That's really hard. That's hard to... The I only agree. thing I would suggest is if you, um, if you have any friends that are like-minded with you, you know, uh-huh. that can kind of, that you guys can just kind of sit around and just maybe have pizza and I don't know how old you are, if you're old enough to buy beer or, but just kind of hanging oh. out and, but just sitting around eating pizza and playing video games or whatever. Right. And talking, you know, and maybe you can kind of talk to your, some of your friends in advance and I know, but kind of I mean, give them I, I, but, but, up. I don't know if I got that much time. I mean, <laughs> he's really getting out there. You think he really is? I mean, I mean, this band. Maybe you, uh, this have, band, maybe you should call well, and talk to Sam. Ruth, Ruth. I mean, you got to hear their lyrics. They really. <laughs> the, the one of the one of the songs is called "Bastards of Christ." I mean, what, oh, may, how could someone how could someone do that to our Lord? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would, if it's that serious, I would, don't calm down, sweetie, don't, don't let it. No, I, I mean, I'm, it'll make, I don't it'll want my friend to go to hell. I mean, I don't want him I to understand. go to hell. I, I understand, but you have to, you have to be patient and you have to pray and you have to try and talk to the people that you know that he will listen to that he respects. But don't, you can't let it pull you down like that because you're no good to him if you're right. that distraught, you know? I understand. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to try to, so that you can, you can focus and, and you can let him know that you're there for him and that you feel like he's going in the wrong direction and just let as many people that you know love but him and we're care scared, for him we're and scared, you guys Ruth, love on him. I mean, his mother is like a mother of mine. And, and you know, and she pulled me aside last week and, and she said that he has been imitating the vocals, the vocals to this okay. song. I mean, Ruth, I mean, when a man is singing like, Bastards of Christ, 
pastor. I mean, uh, that sounds demonic. Like a, a possession that is in place. That does sound demonic. I know it does. It does. It, it does. Was, I mean, it should. What would we do? I don't know a whole lot about it. I really don't. But that that's my only only suggestion, you know. Well, it's just for you guys to try to get, you know, let him know what you feel and what you think and and that you care for him and that you care for his immortal soul and that you love him, you know, and that you don't want any harm to come to him. I agree. And you know what I mean? And if you well, can just try to stress that and get everybody I really feel that like you've seen the movie The Exorcist like is it like that I mean that's terrifying it is it really is it is I mean I watch stuff like that though and and, like are these blasphemous representations of how it really is or or are these realistic representations I don't know that I don't know (sighs) and uh, you know I I don't know that we'll ever know for sure but is there someone that does I I have no idea. All I can suggest is, like I said, is that you talk to someone, um, um, a pastor, or you might, you know, so, you know, something like that at the university or something like that. Somebody that he may listen to and and respect their opinion and at least kind of open his eyes to what you guys are fearful of for him. I'm in Michigan City, Indiana, and I don't know if you heard about the recent events, but we have a a group called the Morbid Saints, and I I think they're picking up young minds, like my friend, you know, and they're speaking of a a spectrum of death. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of that stuff is, 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 I guess it is geared to people that they feel are more susceptible and more, you know, eager to follow and listen to, you know, those types of things. But right. I'm sorry, I, I wish I could tell you more, but I don't know. Well, what would be a band that you would suggest, Ruth? If you were in my situation, what kind of music would, I mean, because music really speaks to me and, and to my friend clearly, but it's, he's going down the wrong path. And that's the problem is how the music speaks. And what would be something that you would listen to that would really like get you through this time, Ruth? If it was, this was your, really, your best friend, you know, I really, you know, I couldn't tell you that because I don't know. There's so many different genres of music now. That I like boy bands. I, I mean, what would you recommend? I couldn't. I really can't recommend anything because I don't know. I really don't know what all is out there. So that's like, why I'm maybe, I mean, really for you to maybe to talk with your um, your parents and his parents, and they may know some what religious you, what, leaders. What, what music do you listen to that like really helps you? Is there a song well, that you identify I, I, with? You know what? Maybe one I more time, I maybe? Can't really, no, I can't, I can't give you any um, music or anything. That's you don't listen to any music? I would suggest that you would talk to somebody that is in your circle and, and kind of knows what... <laughs> this isn't what helping very much. Friend. I mean, I, 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 this isn't helping very much. I don't know what I should do. I mean, my friend's... Being I was possessed by the devil listening to this heavy your, metal music. I mean, uh, I was suggesting uh, uh, to talk uh, uh, with your uh, parents uh, uh, or your family. We're all scared. I mean, I just don't. I, I just don't know what to do. I mean, 
You've seen all those documentaries about the heavy metal music. I mean, my friend might wind up not possessed by Satan himself, but he might wind up in jail. I mean, and and possessed by the devil. I mean, what do you do? I mean, I I don't get it. Uh, I'm I'm so confused, Ruth. I understand. I understand. My grandma's name is Ruth. I'm looking to you. Don't you know? I can't. I can't guide you. I can only tell you what I would suggest, and those are the only recommendations that I can give you. How many hail mellers and uh, our fathers do you think would really like? I, I really cleanse like. I said, I would suggest that you talk with you know talk with your family and and. Uh, I am possessed friends. by Satan right now, and I don't know what you're saying, Ruth. You you think 